Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like him. Anybody in this room witnessed it besides me? Anybody else? Let me say it again. Anybody else in this room witnessed it? Uh, Somebody asked me the other day and said, you say the things that you say because you're a pastor. And I said, no, no, I say the things I say because I've witnessed it. I've witnessed God do what he does time and time again. And I'm telling you, this whole series has been been about that concept. I mean, for the last four weeks, we've been talking about witnessing God's move in our lives. We've been talking, and our baseline passage has been 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, and it says, you know, that I'm a brand new creation, the old is gone and the new has come. And it's not something we do. It's only done through Christ in us. And it's something that's long-term. There's no corruption. When God changes us, it's not like we go back to what we used to be unless we decide for ourselves to do that, that God continues the path. And so over the last four weeks, that's what we've been talking about. Week one, we talked about a concept that a lot of us struggle with, and it's we have to change our thoughts. If we want constant, if we want permanent life change, we're going to have to change some of our thoughts. My, my pastor used to say this all the time. Um, Marty Baker used to say all the, he said, you know, we got, we got stinking thinking and we have to have a checkup from the neck up. And so many times in our lives, that's the real struggle we have. That is the, the greatest battle we have is going between our ears, what's going on in our minds. Ephesians chapter four, verse 23 says this. Instead, instead of that battle kind of taking, uh, overtaking us or to, instead of that ba- battle conquering us, let the spirit Renew your thoughts and your attitudes. That's what everybody in this room, if we're going to have permanent life change, we need God to renew our thoughts and the patterns that we have. I, I love this because we can run it through. Because some people, you know, like, how do I do this then? Well, there's some scriptures that talk about eight filters. There's filters that we can run our thoughts through. It's found in uh, Philippians chapter four, verse eight. And it says, now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, your, your thoughts, fix your thoughts on what is, and here's the filters what's true, what's honorable, what's right, what's pure, and what's lovely, what's admirable. And it says, think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So anytime in our minds, when we have that that dangerous thought come in our minds, because we all have them, right? The thought of doing something we shouldn't be doing, we're going to be disobedient intentionally, you know, by birth and by choice, we're sinners. When those thoughts pop in our mind, we can run them through those filters, and those filters will help us get back to where we need on track with God. Uh, the other, another filter is God's word. And we talked about specifically that there's times where we go, that doesn't line up with God's word. And God's word's not like, listen, God doesn't make exceptions for you or for me. His word is, just, somebody needs to say amen to that. God doesn't make exceptions. He doesn't really think, he doesn't care what culture thinks. He doesn't care what the world thinks. But what matters is what the word of God says. And are we measuring it by the word of God? Are we measuring everything? And then there was a kind of a, a kind of for me, one of the passages stuck out in week one was Second uh, Corinthians 10.5. It says, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. And this is the part. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And so we literally have to capture what's going through our minds. Sometimes it's late at night. Sometimes it's early in the morning. Whatever you're most susceptible to those thoughts coming through, we need to make sure we're capturing. So that was week one. Week two, Alan, who just did communion, spoke did a phenomenal job, and he talked about do something for a change. And really, the word that I used when I was down in our Sherwood campus, I kept talking about procrastination. We are all master procrastinators. It's just easier for us to go, you know something? I'll put off tomorrow what I should be doing today. How many people have ever done that? And then what happens to the tomorrow? 
It never happens. We never deal with it. So then it goes another day and another day and another day. And before you know it, we're not doing the things that God wants us to do. James 1 was our kind of our, our, our pivotal verse. And it just says in verse 22, it says, but don't just listen to God's word. Lots of people, you want to know something? Lots of people know God's word. There's lots of people that can quote God's word. There's lots of people in think tanks that can tell you every scripture and every theological concept there is out there. But that doesn't mean that they're doing it. And that's what it says. It says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, and nobody in this room wants to be foolish. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. There's lots of people in the world that are fooling themselves. They know God's word. They do Bible study. They do all that kind of stuff, but they're not living out the things that God has told us to do and live out in scripture. So that was week two. Week three, we talked about um, something that probably nobody in this room, first service, it was a lot of people. Uh, next service would be a lot, but probably nobody in this room is taking responsibility for change. Everybody in this room I know takes responsibility for every one of their actions. Amen? No, we all, we all blame somebody else. We blame the coach. We blame the teacher. We blame the preacher. We blame, uh, this past week, somebody said something like, it's all your fault. I'm like, it's not my fault that you lost your job. <laughs> it's because you're lazy. <laughs> That's what, right? So I, I, I was superimposing his, his, his taking responsibility on him and telling him what it was. But we all have a struggle with taking responsibility. And we have a tendency to make excuses. But here was a pivotal moment last week. And I was sitting here um, just kind of, and it wasn't even in my notes last week, but there's, 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 there's certain things we can't take responsibility for. You can't take responsibility for what necessarily your spouse does. You can't take responsibility for what your kids do. You can't take, you can have influence, right? We, you can have influence in their lives. You can't, you don't have responsibility for what the teacher does. You don't have response, like you can't, you can't control the coach for not putting your kid in, all that kind of stuff. But you know what you can control? Your thoughts, your words, and your actions. Those are things that we, every one of us, we can take control of those things. We can say, you know something, I'm not going to allow that thought to happen. My actions are going to lead this way. I'm not going to say these things. You know, even, even, even like, you know, when it's easy to say things and just push send on a, on an email or a Facebook message or a, a, whatever, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, my words are going to build up Christ. I'm going to make Jesus famous by the words I use. So that's the things we've talked about over the last three weeks, which leads up to today, which honestly, I think is the most important aspect of all of these. Now, if you missed them and you'd like to go back, you go to journeycommunity.net, the media page, and you can watch all the messages or you can go to Apple or any of the other um, uh, mediums out there that, that, that have stuff like this. But this, I believe this is the most important day. And I think, and you're here, so I'm glad you're here. This is one you may want to take some notes on because today's message is about, and it's about this concept, sticking around for a change. Like sticking it out. And what I found out, we have a lot of quit in the world we live in. And the first time that somebody op, uh, opposes us or the first time somebody has an opposing view to ours or whatever it is, we leave. We take up our stuff when we go to the next town. We do it in churches. You don't like something the pastor says, not here, but other churches, you don't like something they say. You, you, you pick it up and you go somewhere else, right? Like, I don't like the worship here. You pick it up and you go somewhere else. And I'm telling you, not just at church, you're not just in this faith community, but in your life, stick around for change because I believe if you do, God's got great plans for you. Um, this past week, um, before I, we went to the beach on Wednesday, but, but before I had lunch with a, a friend of mine and he's a good friend and we have a great relationship. And so what I said to him, you know, some of you are going to go, that's, that's brutal. I can't believe you said that, but he's been battling weight struggles all his life. And he said, I, he said, Bobby, about two weeks ago, I decided I was going to get everything straight. And he says, I, I went on the diet and he says, I, you know, one of those, you know, um, it, 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 it rhymes with weight watchers. Um, <clears throat> but he went on one of those, those diets and he did it for a full week. 
And he said, I didn't lose a single pound. He said, I, I was doing push-ups every day. I was doing sit-ups every day. I was watching and counting. And, all. and I'm not saying Weight Watchers. This has nothing to do with. And he goes, so I said, what you do, man? He goes, I quit. I said, so after one week, you quit. So if you don't know me very well, I don't have a filter. And I was about to understand that I don't have a filter. And I just said, oh, can I ask you a question? We'll call him John. John, can I ask you a question? How long did it take you to get fat? And he said, all my life. And I said, and you expected to get out of it in a week? Now, we can smirk and we can laugh and we can say all the things and we can point the finger, but we're the same exact way. Listen, I can't tell you how many times I started a morning with a push-up and then look in the mirror. Like all of a sudden, one push-up is going to give me a right? No, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. But why is it, you know, one Bible study and we think we know everything about the Bible or one devotion with our spouse, we think everything's going to be fine in our marriage or one, one time we pray over our kids and we think, wow, they're going to turn out to be great. It's not the one, it's the, it's the multiple of ones. It's one plus one and plus one and plus one and plus one and sticking with it. And so over the next couple of minutes, I want to talk about that concept of just sticking with it because change is a process that takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. And it's a process that, that you have to participate in actively. You can't be pe- passive in your life change. Yes, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. And yes, the Holy Spirit can change us. But I'm telling you, in order to continue changing our lives, we have to be involved in that process. Your, your health will not change overnight. There's a lot of us think it will. Your, your bad, my, my bad relationships won't, won't, won't change overnight. Our poor financial situation, there's a reason you're where you're at right now. And it's not going to change overnight. Your business doesn't always change overnight. Your spiritual life, same, doesn't change overnight. And, but you know, you know whose lives and finances and businesses are changing? Those that, the, the ones that refuse to give up. They just go, you know something? We got great tenacity, and I'm not going to give up on this thing. And eventually what happens, their efforts, eventually the results come in. It's because of this, this concept of just doing the same thing over again. It's mundane, but doing the same thing over and over. And it's making that one push-up, two push-ups. And the next day, making it five push-ups. So I, I told my wife, um, I, you know, as you get older, um, the French fries and, and the milkshakes land differently. Is that a healthy way to put it? Is that okay to say it that way? So I told her the other day, I said, listen, I, I got to get better at this. I need, I need your help. This is the first time that I've asked my wife for help in this. So she goes, what are we going to do? And I said, we're going to walk a couple times. I'm going to do 30-minute exercise. I'm going to start eating better. I'm going I'm, I'm to do all that kind of stuff. She said, great. I went on one walk. We were at the beach. I went on one walk and came back, man. I got on the scale. It had gone up. (laughs) But what would happen if I, I'm hoping what I do is I stick it out. And I hope I have some longevity in this thing. And I hope what happens is that I stick around for the life change that God has, not just physically, but spiritually in my life. And what would happen if that that literally worked out? Now, I'm going to say something, and, and there again, some of you are going to get mad. You're going to send emails and all that kind of stuff. That's great. You can just send them to Alan Runner at journeycommunity.net. He'll take care of everything. But here, here's the deal. To, to change what you reap, you got to change what you sow. You hear me? To change what you reap. Like, why am I the way I am? It's because you've been, you've been sowing stuff. It's, it's the stuff, and it's years and some decades and sometimes lifetimes of stuff that we've done. And Galatians chapter 6 will be our baseline for dating. It just says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You know what that means? 
you can't, you can't go against his principles. There's a passage in the Old Testament. I used to say this all the time. Does a man think he can place fiery coals in his lap and not get burnt? No, obviously, if you put fiery coals in your lap, you're going to get burnt, just like if you keep doing those same things. So in Galatians 6, it says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. And here's the important part of this. You will always harvest what you plant. You'll always harvest what you plant. I was going to do a dirty trick on Gina. My wife has uh, these buckets in the backyard. I was going to take some pictures of them, but she has these buckets of tomato plants. And she loves her tomato plants like that. I think she loves her tomato plants and our, our dog more than she loves me sometimes. But like all the whole time we were at the beach, she goes, I wonder why my tomato plants are doing that. I, why didn't you put a camera out there so you can watch them? I don't know. Like, I don't know. So this is what I was going to do. I was going to call a friend of mine that lives around the corner. I was going to say, do me a favor. Can you take all our tomato plants and put them somewhere else and put, put cucumbers out there? That one, when she gets home, she goes, well, what happened to my tomato plants? And like, but you know, in our lives, a lot of us think that happens. Somehow or another, we plant tomato plants, or we, we plant this thing in our lives, and somehow or another, we, we think we're going to reap something else. You reap exactly what you sow, and then some. But you never reap differently. It's not like you can take this and make it something like that, even though we would love to have that happen in our times, in our, in our lives. And so it's one of those deals where whatever you, whatever situation you are in your life right now, it's because of the, it's because of the sowing that you've done over your life. You're reaping what you sow, and you're reaping the harvest you planted weeks ago, months ago, years ago, decades ago, whatever it is. And so if you're frustrated at your financial life, guess what? You have to change things. You got to do some things differently. You got to make sure that that doesn't happen. So what are you going to sow right now in your emotional life? I have a friend of mine that struggles with anger and, uh, and depression, but he's always watching shows that bring more anger and depression on his life. And I'm like, watch something. It's like an alcoholic being a bartender. It doesn't work right? So his emotional life. And I was like, you got you to start reaping something different. How about your family life? You know, maybe that means you, you have to sow a Bible study or sow, sow a devotion or maybe, you know, get involved in a small group, that allows, whatever it is, your business, same thing. What are you sowing in your business? Because whatever you're sowing is something you're going to reap down the, down, down the road. Your physical health, that's an obvious one, right? That's an obvious, like whatever you sow. How about your spiritual life? What are you sowing into your spiritual life? Pastor Bobby, I don't like where, where, where I'm at right now. Well, what are you doing to get to where you want to go? Earmark what you want to look like. Like, I want to be this in a year and, and start the process, whatever it looks like. Every married couple that comes into my office when I'm doing some type of marriage counseling, I ask them to do a couple things. And the very first thing is I, I say, I want you to write a vision down for your marriage. What do you want your marriage to look like? That's important. That's a, hey, that's a good challenge for everybody in this room. If you're married, not if you're not married. But no, if you're, if you're not married, you could do the same thing while you're looking for the right person, right? But what do you want your marriage to look like? I want it to be God honoring. I want to make Jesus famous in it. I want to, I want to be devoted. I want to be a servant. I want us to serve together as a family, all that stuff. And then I say, okay, so what are you going to do to get you to that point right there? Because everybody has great plans, but most people don't do them. And so what, what, what are you doing with those moments? And then here, here's, I'm going to be as, this is going to be kind of ugly if you don't like where you're at. Plant something different. If you don't like where you're at in your life, plant some, start planting something different. That's what scripture says. It says those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from the sinful nature. But those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the spirit. Verse nine, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. Don't give up. Keep doing it. Keep doing the right things. And at just the right time, you'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't what? give up. And that's the problem. That's what we're talking about today. Not giving up. And it's the hardest part. And I'm going to tell you for me, maybe you get, the hardest part for me is, 
is, is the, the moment between the sowing and the reaping, the waiting. That's the hardest part. But I'm telling you, if we can make it through the waiting, watch what God does. Okay, so that's the first thing. Uh, how can you do that? How can we do this? Let me give you a couple things. First thing, in order for us to have permanent life change, go in the direction to stick it out, we have to put the past and everything that belongs to it behind you, behind me, once and for all, right? Sometimes in our lives, you can probably relate to this, we're haunted by the measure uh, or the memory of our mistakes. We regret the past. We regret this thing back here. And it's kind of like a shadow that follows us everywhere. And, and the shadow looks a lot like guilt, doesn't it? So the shadow goes around. I was, I was reading this thing about this famous uh, jockey, a horse jockey. And he was over in England. He was riding his horse and he got on the outside edge of the thing. And he, he, he saw something out of the corner of his eye. And when he saw it out of the corner of his eye, he saw this, he, he, a horse. And so all of a sudden he, he started taking the horse a little bit harder and he started going. And, and, and then he gets to the finish line and he looks around and there's nobody, they're, they're like 20, 25, you know, 30 horse lengths behind them. What he realized that he saw was the shadow of his own horse. And in our lives, the memory of our faults are like the shadow of the horse that we're constantly trying to run from. It looks a lot like guilt, doesn't it? Guilt is the thing that will either drive us away from God or drive us to, to God. And unfortunately, so many times because of the, the way it overshadows, the way, the way it overshadows our lives, the way it speaks in our lives, that guilt stays back here. That shame stays back here. Guilt's the shadow of our past mistakes. But I'm going to tell you, there's something in that phrase that as I wrote it even, it's our past. Guilt is not our future. Guilt is not who we are right now. You are not, you are not that. As a matter of fact, we have been freed. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are free from guilt. You are free. Now, there's still ramifications. There's still consequences to whatever we've done, right? But we don't have to live with the guilt and the shame. We can move on. Some of you need to hear this today, that you can move on from your past. That you are not, that shadow that you think is so big and audacious and hairy and all that, that's not who you are. That's not what's defining you right now. What defines you is who you are in Christ, the brand new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Okay? But guilt has its trouble, doesn't it? I'll tell you what guilt does. It reminds us again and again of all that we've lost and what we've missed out on. Guilt will do that, won't it? I can't believe because of that thing. I can't do this. I'll never be able to do that. I missed this. It also tells us again and again, the future can never be as good because of the guilt of our past, because of our past. That will never be. There's no chance that I can ever be this. There's no chance I can ever do this. I had a friend of mine just a um, couple of weeks ago. He was in ministry and um, he, he messed up. He, he, had, a, he had an affair. Um, now he's restoring his marriage, but everybody around him, even the church he was at, everybody around him told him, God will never use you again. And he sat in my office. I said, what a tragedy, because I think you're right where God wants you because he can use you in that. And there's a story to tell of restoration. There's a story to tell how God brings back together marriages. There's a story to tell that I can still, that that past doesn't define me. But that's what we're kind of cultured to think that that past does. How about, how about taking a look at how God views our past? Do you ever think about that? Instead of how you view your, your past or somebody else, your wife views the past, your ex-wife, your whatever, how about how God views? This is what he says in Psalms 103, verse 12. He says, he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. He never sees them anymore. Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17 says, yes, this anguish was good for me, for you have rescued me from death, forgiven all my sins, meaning they're all gone. So how do you handle the past? What do you do? 
Well, I'll tell you, a good, a good model to follow would be the, let's follow the model of Paul. Y'all remember Paul? Paul was a murderer killing people. And this is what he writes in Philippians. Think about this. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. And I love this. The next word is the most powerful word as a believer we can possibly understand. Forgetting. Forgetting. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The people around you may not forget. But in order for you to move on, you have to forget. You have to forget what the world told you you were. You have to forget what, what the enemy told you. You, you got to forget. And it's just forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. You have to forget. Now, the writer, could you imagine this? The first time Paul gets up in front of the crowd and he goes, I want you to know that God saves even the worst of sinners, which I will declare that I am. You know what he had to do? He had to forget what he was. Because there's people in the crowd going, that's him. That's the one that murdered. That's the one that murdered my... I got to forget that. In our lives, we have to learn. This is maybe the only opportunity, the only time that it's really okay for us to forget. We got to forget what happened in our past. What that looks like back there. Years ago, a thunderstorm came through. A little small town in Kentucky, and they were world-renowned for one of the largest pear trees. And it was a family that generations and generations had that hillside. And there was this pear tree that produced bumper crops of of pears. But a thunderstorm came through and it wiped the pear tree out and it knocked it over. One of the townspeople come and said, like, there's such great memories. I carved my name and my girlfriend's name and now we're married. It was in that that pear tree. Or, you know, there was a rope that we used to swing and I used to push my, you know, on that, my kids on that swing. There was all these memories. But there they were laying on the ground. The guy asked the, the owner, he said, no, what are you going to do? He said, he kind of paused for a minute. He said, I'm going to go pick up the fruit off the, off the ground, and then I'm going to burn it. And I thought about it. That's what we need to do with our past. We have to pick the fruit off it and then burn it. Because there's things that we can learn from our past, isn't there? There's things we can learn from our failures, the problems that we had that we don't carry into the other things in our life. We can pick that fruit, but then eventually what we need to do is burn it. We need to get rid of it. It's got to get out of our lives. We can't keep it in there if we're going to keep. That's the shadow that I keep running from. That's the shadow that I think I'm racing in my life, which leads me to the next thing. This is really important here. In order for us to have permanent life change, we got to stay in the game until the end. We can't quit. How many people love baseball? I love baseball. I'm a huge Atlanta Braves fan. We, everywhere we go, we watch the Braves. Gina said to me last night, we were planning our whole getting back schedule so we can watch the Braves at four o'clock. So we were, uh, night before that, we were planning our whole dinner schedule so we can be back 7.10 to watch the Braves. She goes, you think we're getting old? No, set in your ways. That's a better way to say it. Anybody watch the Braves besides me? Three people? Perfect. First service, we had a mutiny. Somebody said Boston. I'm like, Pfft. <laughs> Pfft. one good year. 2003 or four or something like that. Which, by the way, do you know that they were down, Boston was down 03, 03 in 2000, I think it was 2004, 03 to another team in the American League playoffs. They're the only team to ever come back and win a series. And then they went on to win the World Series. It reminded me of this because the Braves, if you watch them, I go to bed like around eight. Okay, I stay a little later, but... Like six, six, six inning, and the Braves are losing. You know what I do? I put the mask on, and I'm out like a light. 
Luke, I am your father. <laughs> but you know, the last two weeks, if you do that, you wake up. It, it's crazy. I'll wake up and I get up at like 4.30 in the morning. I walk out and I don't, I'm quiet on the TV and I'll get to read my Bible or whatever. Cheetah goes, did you see the end of the game? I, no, you knew I didn't. I was asleep next to you. She goes, we won. Now, if I would have just, we played six innings, that would have been it. But we played nine innings. They play four quarters. If you're a Atlanta Falcons fan, you play two and a half quarters. Right? Especially if you're playing against pretty boy Tom Brady. You see what I'm getting at, though? Could you imagine if the game stopped at six innings or the game stopped at whatever? We'd never have... See, every one of us likes a great comeback story or a underdog story. We, we love them. You know why? Because they make us think about the situations in our life. And I want you to think about the situations that you've tried to quit on. And I want you to get up. There's still time on the clock. There's still, there's still innings in the game. It, it's time that you kind of pick up. Because here's the deal. Every one of us in this room, everyone watching online, we get knocked down at times in our lives, don't we? Every one of us has a situation in our lives. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says the wicked... Lay down and stay down, but the righteous get up. I've always thought about this. What makes me different in my life than the wicked person? It's because I refuse to quit. Proverbs 24, 16. The godly may trip, how many times? Seven times. You know what that means? They get up again. They get up again. He said, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overshadow the wicked. Um, I, I used to coach soccer. Um, for Columbia County and softball and all the other sports too. But I had, I had, I coached my three. How many people know it's really hard to coach their kids? Cause you want to yell at them, but you also want to look like the pastor of a great church. So there's this, there's this battle going on. It's not like, come on, you great kid. But one, one of, I'm not going to tell you which one, but one of my kids, like we play a game and she come off the field and she start crying. Suck it up, buttercup. There's no crying in softball. Apparently there was. But you know what I tell my kids all the time? Listen, you can cry at the end of the season, but you're going to finish the season out. You, you can cry all you want. You can change sports at the end of the season, but you're going to finish the season out. You know what I was trying to, and some of you are going, that's so hard. That's not upward. <laughs> Jen, did I just say that? Am I going to get an email about that? Perfect. It's not something that rhymes with upward. <laughs> My kids are in their 20s now. You know what they're not? They're not quitters. They're not quitters. They're not perfect, but they're not quitters. I've watched one start a business. I've watched one go you know, change occupation. I watched another one over in a church in Atlanta. They're not quitters. That was instilled in them on that, that softball field. Somehow or another, we have to have that mock instilled in us that we can't quit. If we quit, there, you know, if, there, there's no room for growth anymore if we quit. There's no room for God to move anymore if we quit. There's no opportunity for God to use us in the world if we quit. We can't quit. And the difference between, and I've learned this, the difference between me being righteous and foolish is not quitting. I'm knocked down, and I get knocked down, but I'm not knocked out. One of my favorite passages, and it used to be kind of a life verse, is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and it simply says this, we are pressed on every side by troubles. You ever feel like that? 
that you're pressed on every side. It feels like the, the world is caving in on you, but you're not crushed. It's not, you're not going to get crushed. First of all, God's doing this number right here, holding the walls back for you. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We, are, we get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. That's the promise that God makes to us. Let me give you one more, and we're going to close right here. And this is really important. And I want everybody to get this because that, that last one only happens if you have this one. And it's, you need to find your tribe. We need to seek out people that can help us. We need to be around people, position ourselves in the world that is so toxic. We got to be people that are speaking into our marriages. We got to be people speaking into our kids, you know, our, our, our ministers, whatever it is. We have to have those people around me. And I love the way Ecclesiastes says it. it says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls and the other one can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. If you can read a little bit further, this is what it says, uh, a strand, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. That's because you can't pull it apart when they're weak. And the three strands are me, somebody else, my, me and my wife, me and my friends, whatever. And God is that third strand. What would happen in our lives? See, God made us to be together. God made us and we're better when we're doing it together. That's why we put so much emphasis in groups. It's hard to fall. And I say this all the time. It's hard to fall out of community. If you're in some type of community, it's hard to fall out. Somebody's going to check on you. Somebody's going to ask you how you're doing. Somebody's going to ask you, like, what's going on in your life? What can I do to help you in this area? If you're in community, that happens all the time if you're not. So here's something. I'm going to give us three, type of pe- three types of people. This is real personal for me, so if I get a little teary-eyed, I apologize. But these are things that I've been looking for for 30 years in the friends that I have around me. Here's the first thing. Look for those who can give you advice based on wisdom. Not just advice. Everybody can give you advice, right? You can get online and get advice, but I need people that have my best interest in mind. I, I love the way it says in Proverbs chapter 16, 20, those who listen to instruction will prosper. Those who trust the Lord will be joyful. That's the first thing. Second thing is look for people to speak the truth and love into your life. Somebody got mad at me not too long ago and said, Pastor Bobby, love hurts. Mm, nope. Love when done right, actually helps. It's been love that has brought me out of the pit of my, in my life. It's been love that's brought me out of my depression or my anxiety or my struggles. It's been love. It's been people that have loved me and cared about me that have my best interest in mind. And that's exactly what it says in Proverbs chapter 27, 6. It says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than the kisses from an enemy. Here's the third thing. We need to look for people who recognize your potential. You hear me on that? So one of my favorite, there's two stories in, my, in, in the Bible that I, I just go to all I gravitate to, toward Moses, right? Moses is a great story, and Jesus. And I have this vivid picture in my mind. I don't know if this is how it happened, but Moses' mom was sitting there, you know, after she got him back out of the river and cradling him and all that, and she, she, would, she, would, she was praying over him. She was, she was saying, you know, like, you're going to be a person of destiny, and like, you're going to be a great, a great leader one day. And I, Jesus... I, it had to happen with Jesus. Mary, it said that Mary pondered these things. She's probably looking. She knew it was going to happen. She knew there was going to, going to be a cross. But she, you're going to save the world one day. And I say this all the time. I remember, and if you're a mom, you really remember when you're, when you're in that moment, that real, that real vulnerable moment when you're holding your kids. Maybe it's late at night. Maybe you're feeding them. And you start thinking, and you start speaking into their lives. Some of you are shaking your head like, you know exactly, like, you're going to be a great one. Like, I want what's best for you. 
you're going to be amazing. And you're just speaking potential into their lives. That's what we need in our real lives. We need people around us that see the best in us, not the worst. There's lots of people that can see the worst in us, but get two or three people that can see the best. One of the things I was asked a couple of weeks ago by somebody, they said, Bobby, what's your, what's your greatest personality trait? What's your greatest attribute? And I thought for a while, and my first inclination is to be stupid or funny because that's how I, that's how, that's how I cover up. That's my fig leaf, you know? It's, it's in the Old Testament, by the way. Some of you are chuckling. Some of you are going, what are you talking about in the Old Testament? They covered up with a fig leaf, okay? Um, so I, I, I probably said something stupid. Then I said, I said something that my wife tells me all the time. She said, as long as we've been together, you're a person that sees the potential in people, that sees something in people that nobody else sees. Like you can look deep down inside of somebody and go, you got greatness. Everybody else has told them they're going to be a failure, but you got greatness. Do you have those people in your life? Do you have people around you that are going, you know something? I see your potential. You're absolutely amazing. We need to do that with our kids. We need to do that with our spouses. We can do it with our coaches. We may have to lie a little bit. Our teachers, our friends. You're amazing. There's a handful of people in my life, period. I gravitate toward people that tell me and see the potential. Now, here, here's some next steps because I'm going to finish this series out with a couple next steps. I'm going to make them real quick. During this series, we talked a lot about a relationship with Jesus. Alan talked about it when he was up here. And maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus or maybe maybe today today's the day. Like you've, had, you've been having this conversation. I'm going to encourage you to keep that going. Talk to somebody about it. Go to somebody at the Next Steps area. It's the big wooden wall out there and say, listen, I want to know more about my relationship with Jesus or I'm not sure I have one or I started a relationship with Jesus. You have a natural next step. In July, on the 16th of July, we're having baptism. We would love to be a part of your next step. I would love to set you up on a a road of success in your spiritual life where in fact, there's something that happens in you just like 2 Corinthians where it says, the old is gone, the new is come. And for others, you're sitting here going, Pastor Bob, I love that idea of having the right people around me, but I don't have that. How can I have that? Well, there's three venues or three ways you can do that. The first way is you can get involved in the community group. You can call the church office. You can email the church office, and we will help you find a group of people that are like you, that can help you grow, that will put you in those accountability relationships that you can walk hand in hand. doesn't happen overnight. Community takes a while. Just to be honest with you, community is messy at times, but it's worth it. You can get involved in a connect group on Tuesdays, I think at 10 o'clock. And then that, that evening we have connect groups going on. And then there's a couple different vehicles of care groups. There's cancer care, there's divorce care. And I think there's a marriage um, group you can get, get involved with. Get involved with something that's going to help you take a next step in life change. Amen. Can we pray together and close this series out? Heavenly Father, it's in this moment that I understand that Some people today have made decisions to follow you. Some people today are kind of trying to figure that whole faith thing out, kicking the tires. Over the last couple of weeks, life change has been happening. I just pray that we would would continue to understand that this 
has to be sustained. It's not something that just happens and then we stop doing it. It's something that we have to work the rest of our lives. I've heard Alan say it before, God, it's something we believe around this place. Everybody has, everybody has the next step. So God, I pray that you would provoke all of us, that you would push all of us to our next step. Regardless of community group, serving, giving, getting involved in some type of care, not taking a, a next step into you, just crossing that spiritual line that was in the sand and asking Jesus to be the savior of their world. God, whatever it is, I pray that we would take our next steps. God, thanks for being with us. Be with us next week as we come together again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or want to talk to someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.